0: Welcome to episode five of Wholehearted Loving. I'm Stephanie.
1: Hello, I'm Georgiana. Yay.
0: So we're back. We've got a lot of good feedback this last week from the previous episodes. It feels really good.
1: Yeah. It's been so fun to hear from those of you who have taken the time to send us messages to say what an impact these first three episodes have had on you and I love hearing, I've been sharing it with my partners, quoting it at work. I'm living in Greece and I'm listening. And it's just so neat to know that more people are invested in practicing being kinder to themselves. That excites me so much. Yeah. So yeah, it's good to hear from you. Let us know how the episodes are landing for you, what it's inspiring in you, what you're learning about yourselves. And we also want to hear what you want to hear us talking about. So Mm -hmm. we have a link, Steph, maybe, is it in the show notes? I don't know where it is, where you can click the link, fill in a form. It sounds really big when I say fill in a form. It's not a big form. Basically, just tell us what kind of topics you want us to cover. And if you have any questions based on what we've already talked about on other episodes, or if you have other questions that we haven't talked about, other topics that you want to hear us talk about, let us know.
0: Yeah. And we've talked about doing call-in shows too, because I think a lot of our Magic is in workshops and in helping people work through things and pausing stories and taking pause and moments with their bodies and their emotions in a practical, on the ground way. Fill out the form with that too if you're interested in something like that. We'll work it out. Yes,
1: it's fun. It's fun to hear from you. I've mm-hmm. been hearing from my parents. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, my mom also listened. She told me the other day. Oh, what'd you say? Mm-hmm. Not all that much. I think she's trying to get her head around it. This is mm-hmm. not like natural for her. Do you remember the Saturday Night Live sketch, sweaty balls?
1: <laughs> no. See, we need to have an episode about Saturday Night Live. All these. I have a story about Paula Abdul because all I knew was Chinese radio, Chinese soap operas. So there's tons of pop culture that I knew I totally did not understand. And one of the things is like Saturday Night Live. I've never once in my
0: life watched an episode. Oh, okay. No. I've got some clips to show you. There's these two soft-spoken radio ladies who interview Alec Baldwin, who makes, I think it's some kind of dessert ball, and his last name is Shwetty, and so they're called Shwetty Balls. <laughs> and I think we bring to mind the nice radio ladies from the Shwetty Balls skit from my mom.
1: Oh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice Radio lady. I'll be a nice (laughs) radio lady. How do I have to sound? (laughs) You're doing
0: it already. It just comes naturally to us. We don't need to do anything.
1: Yes. For those of you listening, I've been talking to my parents and it's interesting when I come on a podcast and talk about my life and my childhood. And of course, my parents are a big part of that. And as you've heard in the last couple of episodes, there were hard things that I had to live through and heal and understand and find an understanding of. And before the first episode launched, I was a bit scared. I was like, I got to think I got to call my mom. I got to call my dad. I got to make sure they know that I'm not blaming them, that I love them, and that it's also important for me to acknowledge what was true for me, what my experience was and that's part of the healing process and that's in service of us being able to have a closer connection now so i did those things and it felt good and we had some really beautiful and surprising conversations which i think one day i'd love to share but for now i want to share when i talked to my parents this past weekend Episode one, two, and three, they've watched. And my mom, she's so sweet. She says, so does everyone think I'm a terrible person? (laughs) Bless her. I said, no, mom, you're not a terrible person. People don't think that. You're just human. You did what you knew at the time with what you had available to you, with the limited time and resources you had to have any kind of meaningful reflection about how you wanted to parent right? Because you were trying to put food on the table for us, make sure we were okay and physically safe. I said, it's okay, mom. I love you. You're not a terrible person. You weren't a terrible mom. There were just some things that were hard. And I also said, and mom, it's only episode three. There's going to be so many episodes. There's going to be lots of time for me to talk about how great you are, what I learned from you, what I love about you. And she was like, okay, okay then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah.
0: it's such a departure too from the regular speedy way of being in the world, slowing down in the ways that we're doing here, doing these physical connection practices, I think, is a pretty unusual concept for a lot of people. And I remember feeling like crazed by it even. Let's hustle. Like, why are we doing these slow practices? and after a while it just has a really significant impact on my body and my experience and for those like i think it's challenging for my mom and my best friend to hear these practices and think god do you need this much soothing what's the matter with you all i can tell you is that i feel a lot better a lot more connected Mm, and i know that's true for so many people
1: it is and Hearing you say that, I'm like, oh, I feel my body craving a soothing practice. Mm. So can I walk us through one? Please. Let's start by feeling whether it's your feet on the ground or your butt on the chair and noticing your breath. And I like to place my hands on my body, like on my legs. So you feel that contact and... We'll pair a little bit of breath with movement here. So just on the inhale, I'm going to breathe in. I'm going to bring my arms up overhead. And then look up at your hands and feel them touch. And on your exhale, just bring your arms back down. Maybe you want to lower your chin. And just follow that at your own pace two more times. On the inhale, we look up. Feel your hands on the exhale, release and lower your hands. Let your hands make contact with your body again, just to feel that reset point. And then one more time. And then after that, I always like to just follow what my body tells me it needs. (sighs) Thank you. You're welcome. I like what you said about getting comfortable with slowness and I want to pair that with what's happening with my relationship with my parents, especially my mom. I think for a long time, I've wanted us to have a more connected relationship since I was a very little girl. And then as I became an adult, I knew there was like, I was still angry. I was still hurt about so many things that had happened. I tried to push myself towards forgiveness because I understood and I was compassionate of the challenges of being a mother. I couldn't quite get there to forgiveness. There's still too much stuff bubbling inside me. And I remember one of my teachers saying something along the lines of trusting timing and the process, and that if you're not at forgiveness yet, that's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person or a bad daughter. It's just you're not quite there yet. And what I realized is I wasn't quite there yet because my pain and hurt needed more tending to and holding first. And what I realized is that when I give myself that and receive that from people who I love and trust, it opens up more room to truly feel that love for my mom and appreciation. And I just feel now looking back, I see that it's a process that couldn't be rushed. I could have said, I'm sorry, 10 years ago. And she could have said, I'm sorry, 10 years ago. And in fact, I think we did. But the gunk was still there. So the words were like, I'm sorry, and I love you. But it didn't feel as clean. I don't know if that helps describe it It doesn't feel as clean, as generous, as free, like opening expansive as it does now. Mm -hmm. And so the process of learning how to be slow in my life, bring these practices into my life. Cause I was not a slow person. I was like, everything must be fast. It means effective means efficient means good. By giving relationships, breathing space, trusting that there's love for each other and that you're both doing your own thing, or at least at the very least you are in control of what healing work you're doing for yourself so that we can come back to, deeper connection with each other.
0: Yeah. And Forgiveness yeah. is a thing that happens. It's a thing we do at some point when we're ready, but more than that, it's a thing that happens and that time is a very necessary, the using these slowing down practices really helps you in those moments where you can't do efficiency and speed and things just have to take their time.
1: I didn't want to accept that for many years of my life.
0: Well, it doesn't make sense, right? Logically, we know we should forgive this person. We understand we're compassionate about the reasons and we know we still love them and we know we're not going to let this separate us. So why can't we just forgive? That's that magic element of time. Yeah, I
1: think. And it's time used intentionally to allow ourselves to feel. Right, feel the hurt and the pain and be held and seen in that. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, not by the person who we felt hurt us because they sometimes don't have that capacity, or we might not be ready to do that work with them. Yeah. But yeah, it's been really lovely to learn to trust timing.
0: Yeah. And the feelings like the other important thing about slowing down and getting in touch with those feelings is so that you can actually feel when you have not forgiven, you might Mm -hmm. think you have, you've done all the things you've been through the motions, you've said the words, but that feeling you're talking about of forgiveness is not actually present yet in your body.
1: And what I've noticed is maybe forgiveness feels different in different layers and phases and also forgiveness. One thing, maybe I feel like I've gotten to forgiveness. And it doesn't necessarily mean I'm ready for connection or I'm ready for a certain type of connection or for the connection to be back where it once was or where people think it should be. And that's been an interesting nuance for me to realize too, because I think I had forgiven my mom and my parents some time ago but it didn't mean I was ready to like hang out all the time and talk
0: all the time and tell them everything about my life growing over time. Yeah. That's, I think we can really get confused when there's something to forgive somebody for, or when we want to have a certain type of closeness and relationships, we can just jump right to the, I want all the time and all the energy. And I want to tell you everything in the world and really have a boundaryless relationship but yeah that's not the thing
1: it's okay to take your time and my mom had said do you remember when i used to bring you back things from the company potluck work potlucks and i think she was asking me because if you listen to the previous th- or episode 1 to 3 i share a lot about things from my childhood that were hard for me, that weren't necessarily the best memories. And so my mom, I think, wanted to know, do you also remember the good stuff? I can feel emotion coming up in me thinking about this. And she said, remember when I used to bring home treats for you? And I already knew what story, what memory she was bringing back because it is a significant memory for me. My mom used to work at an office and I guess they would have maybe, I don't know if it was like Friday afternoon potlucks and everyone would bring something to contribute and share. And my mom would always take her share and instead of eating it, she would wrap it up in napkins and bring it home for us for a treat. course I remember that. (laughs) But what I realized is I can remember it so much more. I appreciate it so much more after I've let myself feel all the hurt that was also there in between us and allowing myself time to do the healing work, taking space from our relationship when I needed it and trusting we would find our way back to each other. And I said to her on the phone this past, what was it, Monday night? I said, yeah, mom, like, of course I remember that. And now I'm so excited because I appreciate that so much more about our history because there's also been room and space for what was hard. And I can now talk to you about what was hard and you can accept and understand that it was hard. And that wasn't where we were even, I'd say, seven years ago. I remember one day she said to me, I've apologized so many times. Like, why aren't you over it? Hmm. And I remember in a moment of frustration, I said, I don't want to not be over it. I'm not hanging on to this for fun. I just still feel hurt and not understood. And yeah, so... Having that conversation with her this past week made me so appreciative of the journey and that it needed to have all these pieces, needed to be clunky along the way. And now it doesn't feel clunky. And I'm really grateful for that. And I had wanted this for a really long time. I think my mom wanted this for a really long time. And we have it now in the form that's in now. Because like you said, like forgiveness, I see now, I believe now it's a byproduct. Yeah. It's a byproduct of lots of intentional pieces of healing along the way.
0: Yeah. And a lot of work and a yeah. lot of uncomfortable feelings, and a lot of hard conversations. Oh, Gigi, there's another layer to that. If you don't mind me taking you back in <laughs> when you yeah. told me about this on the phone the other day it was also the element of mom wanting to bring you north american foods that she didn't know how to make
1: tell me again a little bit more fried chicken oh yeah <laughs> fried chicken fried, fried chicken or whatever it just yeah i couldn't see how hard i think my parents were always trying mm-hmm. because there was so much hurt and because our family didn't have the skills and the awareness that we needed to make space to talk about the hurts. When there's no space to talk about that, everyone holds that inside. It's in the air between you, in the house you live in. And it's very hard to appreciate the things that are good and to focus on them. And it almost feels, yeah, like I said in episode three, if I focus on what's good here, Are we now just pretending like none of the other stuff happened? I was such a child of feeling like things must be just. This is not okay. But yeah, my parents did a lot of things for us that were really beautiful, that really were, they sacrificed a lot. And I would love to do an episode about this one day about the beautiful qualities that we have inherited, learned from our parents. And This bringing home fried chicken and bringing home potluck food for us, it it really speaks to one of my mom's strengths, which is she's very thoughtful. She's always thinking about the other person and how to make life better for them. And often to the detriment of herself which
0: yeah, I a think it's too extreme, <laughs>
1: yeah. but in itself, this ability to think of someone else and imagine what might be nice for them is a beautiful quality. I've had to really learn how to see those strengths and then learn how to build the opposite muscle.
0: Yeah. You, like you have to temper balance. that too. Yeah. With self-awareness, that makes me think of my years doing social work when I just had no boundaries and just wanted to help. Just wanted to help and give. And everything was about what other people needed and what they might think or want. That can be a lot of pressure.
1: Yeah. I've been a chronic overgiver in my life. I've had to learn to What I need and how to bring the two together. I love that.
0: I remember you telling me also once about your mom. I think she was trying to make cookies or something. Yeah, I remember yeah, this, this is the story. Best.
1: Yes. <laughs> Bless her. So my mom was trying to make gingerbread cookies, I think. It was the holidays. And just to put into context, as a little girl, like we would eat a lot of Chinese food. All of the food we would eat would be Chinese food. And I was like, please, can we just have like lasagna or something? And bless my sweet mother, she would try.
0: But it just, that's so sweet. Like that.
1: She would put like zucchini, like soggy zucchini in the lasagna and like all these things that don't actually belong in lasagna. Belong in lasagna, if you want. Because I think Chinese food is about getting all the veggies in, like it's a really balanced meal. You have many dishes on the table. So I think mm. she's like, well if I'm gonna make lasagna, I should still stuff it full of all the things. It's she was and zucchini
0: in. is the right addition in fact. <laughs> that's correct.
1: But it was like soggy and runny and just not what I was trying to say. She would make pasta for us and she would rinse the pasta noodles. And that's a really Asian thing to do when you make Asian noodles. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so our pasta would always be watery and soggy. And yeah, just, mm. mom, thank you for trying. I love you. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. But the gingerbread story is that she wanted to make gingerbread cookies and she didn't know what one of the ingredients is. I think this is the nature of English being your second language or living in a country that wasn't your home country. And molasses i don't know what molasses is because we ate the cookies and i think our facial expressions maybe gave away that we're like what is this exactly <laughs> and she says molasses i don't know what molasses is so i just use milk because they both start with m
0: <laughs> perfect
1: I was like okay great <laughs> thank you for trying We love you, and they're not very good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And they're not very good. I'm disappointed in these cookies, and I love you, and thank you. Beautiful. Yeah, I think this also brings up a good point of, so there's culture, and then language also affects, it's interconnected. Language affects culture, affects language. And then the concepts that we carry as humans in society is affected by our language and our culture as well. So not having words to describe all of the feelings and things that we're dealing with. It doesn't surprise me that our parents and older generations have a different set of language and ways to think about the kind of stuff that we're doing here.
1: Yeah. My mom, I, I talked to her on the phone and she said, the first thing she said to me was, I'm so proud of you. We're so proud of you for putting this podcast out there. And then she said, it's so great because I get to see you every Sunday now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I asked her, have you, wa- have you been watching or have you been listening? And she said, yes, we've watched, we listen. And she's I understand most of it. Oh. <laughs> and part of me <clears throat> felt a little sad because what that reminds me of is I feel like language came a little bit in the way of our connection mm. because we've never truly had one language where we both feel completely fluent in and able to express what's going on between the two of us. And I don't think words are the be all end all because I think human connection goes beyond that. But the other thing we didn't have because there was so much hurt was we didn't have the physical connection and we didn't have the spending time together there was, because there was so much hurt. There were so many ways that human beings connect that I feel like we just didn't have weren't ready for. And mm-hmm. so there was a big divide in us for a long time.
0: Yeah, the amount of work that it takes to get there and then the ways that you get to feel at the end of it. This is actually reminding me of the thing we were talking about coming in here that Facebook post, the article. I'm going to read this now,
1: okay. and then
0: we can talk about it. The, I'm looping this around to the idea of feeling safe, Ooh. feeling trust. Yeah, the amount of work that it takes to get there,
1: to create it.
0: Yeah, to create it, and it's so subjective. Safety and the feeling of safety is so subjective. If I've been abused my whole life. I'm going to feel unsafe around people who are just peaceful. I won't feel normal or trustable to me. There's so many ways we can interpret stuff and a common term now that is being misconstrued as all terms will be is conscious relationship and what that means. So here is a quote that was sent to me on Facebook talking about conscious relationships. So I just want to break this down So I think it's super important for us to pay attention to the meanings of words. Like we're living in a time where people are redefining terms, where we've got all this data, all this information. We're trying to make ourselves understood and using words in often confusing ways. Okay, I'm just going to read this. One of the qualities of a conscious relationship is safety. This safety has nothing to do with being safe from dangerous elements. However, it's more about emotional safety. When you are in a conscious relationship, you suddenly feel free to discuss anything without holding back. You are free to be yourself without feeling remorseful or reluctant. Nothing scares you and you have nothing to hide. That's because you know they are your haven and will always be yours. I take so much exception to this definition of a conscious relationship. I don't even know where to begin. All of the work that it takes to get there. I think a lot of people imagine that they say they're in a conscious relationship. They say, hey, I want a conscious relationship. And the other person says, great. I want that too. I read this bloody article on marriage.com. Do you feel safe? (laughs) Great. I feel safe too. Now we can share everything. We'll always feel magical together. It's so problematically misguided of course you want someone to feel like they are a haven for you you want to feel safe you want to feel trust you are also going to have to work through all of this fear and vulnerability and relationship patterns to get to the place of having that feeling which by the way is nobody's responsibility to give you I can't make you feel like I'm your haven. And I, I wouldn't want to in a way. That's a thing that arises. It's Like we were saying, forgiveness is a thing that arises. We do our work and these things arise. We don't just find ourselves tra-la in a conscious relationship feeling safe because the other person made us feel safe. Yeah, it's a lot of work to
1: co-create that with someone. And I think it's possible for sure. I see it. And I think a big part of that is learning how to be a safe haven for myself, which is, do I love and accept myself? What about all the parts of me I've hidden away? Am I willing to look at those with compassion and give myself permission to be more fully human? When we're on our path of allowing ourselves to be our own safe haven. It makes it a lot easier to be someone else's safe haven in a way that honors both people's needs and boundaries. And it makes it easier to trust that someone could be your safe haven.
0: Yeah.
1: but it takes work and practice.
0: And yeah, consciousness, so this is where the conscious element of the term conscious relationship comes in, is us gaining conscious awareness of all of the aspects of ourselves, all of the patterns that we bring in relationship, all of the responses we've been programmed, you could say, or have learned to provide in order to remain safe, which means protected and unharmed and The feeling of being safe, for example, when you have to share a difficult truth with somebody, you might know that they're not going to hurt you when you share the truth, but you're still going to feel fear of rejection inside. You're going to feel all these things that I don't think we can reasonably call safe, but we're not in danger. So I think it's very important for people to really be conscious of their own patterns the words they're using, the expectations they have, of what behaviors arise when those expectations are met or aren't, how they respond to their feelings.
1: Yeah. Like when I think about emotional safety, like I knew even as an adult, it's easier for me to understand when I put it into context of a real life relationship. I knew as an adult, my mother, she's not going to physically harm me. So I felt physically safe. Emotionally, I didn't feel safe. And that wasn't because she was being emotionally abusive, but what was happening was when I wanted her to see my hurt and just listen, instead of getting into her own fears and anxieties about not being a good mother. When I needed her to listen, when I was going through my separation and see how tough that was for me to even come to that choice in my life, I wanted her to be able to say, I love you. I'm here for you. I see this hard right now. And because of her own fears she wasn't able to do that and so she would bring in her fears and her beliefs about what makes a good mother and a good wife and it wasn't what I needed at that time and and that was not just a one-time thing we had a history of that and so in my experience that felt emotionally unsafe to bring my sadness and my hurt to her to hold because the warm, loving presence that I needed, she wasn't yet able to offer. And through years we've practiced together and I really have felt a shift. She's more able to offer and I'm more able to look for that and receive that from other people and not depend on it solely from her. And we've worked on moving baby step by baby step closer to a place where we both feel emotionally safe. Because I can sit here and say all the reasons why I didn't feel comfortable safe sharing with my mom, but she said something to me one day and it was a kick in the butt. And I was like, what? My mom said that? And part of me was like, good for her. And part (laughs) of me was like, screw you. (laughs) And it was when my marriage was ending and I was, I just knew that I couldn't stay in it. And I had cried to her and said, like, I just want you to support me. Because I had felt so many times through my life that I wasn't supported and she said I do support you but can't I just have a different belief Uh.
0: (laughs) yeah that's very relatable
1: and I don't think I had it in me to admit to her in that moment that she was right yeah but it did stick with me and I did sit and ponder that for a long time because all this time this is what I've wanted from my mother and now she's finally at the place where she can say, yes, I, I support you. I love you. I just have a different opinion yeah. on what a, a good marriage or a good mother or a good wife is. And <laughs> I needed to learn to feel and see her support. In the way she was able to give it and see that we both have different opinions about what it means to be a good wife and a good mother those are
0: our codependent (laughs) roots that you're describing (laughs) wanting everyone to agree with us to feel Mm -hmm. the same way we do to hold Mm -hmm. us in our feelings no matter what yeah that's a really great example of how we turn so much love away or can't recognize that it's there because it's not in agreement
1: i've turned this is a real honest moment For if you've listened to the first three episodes, you can hear maybe moments where I've been hurt and haven't felt met by my parents. And also, I've turned so much of their love away. Like both are true. Mm. And I had to learn that someone can love you and support you and have a different opinion. Mm -hmm. And it might, and also, I can say, I see that you love me and support me. And right now what I need is just your physical presence or a hug. And I want you to have your own opinion. I'm just not ready to have it be part of this conversation right now. Yeah. And I wasn't That's able so to say funny. that. All I could say is screw you, screw
0: you. Yeah. <laughs> here. Well, you I'm are just...
1: again oh. being a crappy mom.
0: Yeah. Why can't right. you support me? Those are exactly yeah. words that I've heard from I've said to my parents and then their response is, how can we support you? What do you need? And that would just make me so mad because I didn't know. I just yes. wanted to feel good. And I, I didn't know yes. how to do that. Also, I want to say who held our mother's feeling. Yeah. We have no reason. We're the the generations now that are learning feelings and how to hold them. So it's easy to be sad or angry that we didn't get these things from our parents, but they come by that so honestly. What business did they have being able to hold feelings when none were held for them? I remember my mom saying that to me once. She's, of course your feelings, but what about mine? And I remember being like, I'm the kid. I'm the only one who gets to have feelings, (laughs) which is just great. You know, that's where I was at then.
1: And that's the thing is I think when we are the actual child, That is how it's meant to be. And and, and if all is the way I think, I believe that it is important to be, then our parents have support outside of their children to be able to deal with their own feelings so that they can be, we talked about the safe haven for their child so their child can express. But what I've noticed is when I didn't have that space to express as a child my feelings and be held physically and emotionally, that gaping hole is still there as a 40, however many year old woman in relation to my mother. Because to my, I'm still like, she's still my mother. I still want that from her, this gaping hole from when I was five and eight and 12. And it's interesting to navigate coming into adulthood and still being someone's child and now making room for my parents' feelings because they're valid too. Like, yeah, just. It's a lot. It's a lot.
0: We know too much.
1: Um, When you said you know, your mom would say, how, how can I support you? Like your mom obviously loves you and would never be like, I definitely don't want to support you. She wants (laughs) to support you. She just doesn't know how. And that's not just a mom thing. It's not a, your mom thing. I think it's a human thing. We can't mind read. Right. And my friend Kat and I began this beautiful practice with each other. And we would get on the phone with each other And we would begin every phone call, you know, maybe after the high, I'm so excited to talk to you with what is it that you need from me in this moment on this phone call? Right. And either we had practiced to express like, Hey, I'm needing a sounding board or I'm needing, um, just some love. I'm needing just for you to be quiet and let me cry. I'm needing, you know, for you to help me see my blind spots. We practice saying that to each other before the phone call. And, and before you can say that to someone, you got to like, just be with yourself and notice what you need. Yeah. And if we, one of us had forgotten, the other would prompt it and say, what is it that, what is it that you need? What, what can, what, and who can I be for you right now? right? And we check in to see if the other person had capacity to be that. And it was such a beautiful practice. It made our relationship just so much more easeful. Uh-huh. And it doesn't mean that we always have to know what we need because sometimes we don't. So we just say, I don't know. I don't know what I need right now. Maybe we'll uh-huh. discover that through through the conversation. And that would always be, you know, that would be great. Uh-huh. But there was a very distinct form of this conversation that has imprinted in me as a person and as a friend. And it was one day years ago now when I was struggling in my marriage and I was wrestling with, do I stay? Do I go? It was a tough time, you know? Um, And we were sitting at the office together. We used to work together as parent support counselors. We were sitting in the office. I think we were on the floor of the office and we were talking and she had asked me a question. We were talking about my marriage and what I should do. She said something like, but Georgie, are you really trying? Like, are you really trying in this marriage? Because you say you want to, but are you really? And that was really tough to hear in that moment.
0: Do you want to or do you want to want to?
1: Right. And I could feel myself starting to shut down. I could feel myself wanting to like not tell her more anymore, like just to sort of like stop the conversation or not tell her the full truth of where I was at because I, I just, I needed something different in that moment. And I could pause enough to see that that was happening. And I could see the moment. I was like, I can either keep shutting down right now or I can tell her what's happening. Mm. And so I told her, I said, you know, I know you love me. And sometimes I really want you to help me see what I can't see and push me. And right now is not that time. Right now, like I'm, I'm having such a hard time that what I really need from you is for you to see that I'm having a really hard time and just be with me in this moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said that uh, I feel myself wanting to shut down. And I know I don't want to actually do that. All right? I want to feel your support. I want to be able to tell you what's going on with my life. And, uh, she was fantastic. She was like, okay, that's clear. You need me to just be there for you right now. And she's like, I can do that. And she completely switched gears and I could feel myself opening again.
0: People just want to help, you know, that it's very unusual that somebody just actually wants to argue with you.
1: Mm -hmm. It's just that people don't always know what we need. Yeah. Right. And coming from their well-intentioned place, they are giving what they think would be helpful or they think is what we need. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's important that we help them see whether they're on track or not.
0: Yeah. And to get on the same page, like it's nice to feel like you're on a team when you're having a conversation and we know what's going on here, what we're doing here. Yeah. It's great. And
1: that was, that was such a significant conversation because mm-hmm. I'd never had the courage to do that, to mm-hmm. tell someone, Hey, what's your offering right now? Doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And this is what I need instead. Like, it sounds simple now, like after the fact, after years of practicing and not- still it's not always simple not- in the moment.
0: We drive Um, ourselves crazy about those kinds of things. People or things they're doing or saying drive us bonkers. And we think about it forever. get all worked up about it. We talk (laughs) to other people about it. The only thing we don't do is express it to the person themselves.
1: Yeah. So that that was a big moment. Yeah. And it showed me safety. You know, when you talk about safety, because I was willing to try something new with someone who I trusted. I could see that there was a willingness to meet me. Like that was a little penny in the emotional safety bank account, mm. you know, with her and I, but also me and human beings. Yeah. I was like, Oh, it is possible. It is possible to feel myself shutting down. It is possible. To let someone know that's what's happening. It is possible to ask more clearly for what I need And there will be people who want to and have the ability to offer that.
0: Mm -hmm. So what about in the hard circumstances where you're being asked for something you can't give or, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe the support somebody needs, like you're actively not in support of, how do you approach that kind of thing?
1: I think being a mother helps me with that because Mm -hmm. as a mother, as a parent, I feel that I'm always having to set boundaries, you know, sometimes because it's just not safe or sometimes because I don't have capacity. And as a parent, it's very obvious. It's clear to me that the love is there. The love and the desire to help is there. It's just that this boundary also needs to be put in place um, because I have needs (laughs) or I have a need to protect you and keep you alive. And so I take from that experience a lot into my other relationships, because I think at the core, what people wanna know is you matter to me, I care about you. I want to be able to support you in the way that you need. And right now I'm not able to, right? And I find that when we can say that to people, although they might be hurt or disappointed, they can still feel that the love and care is there,
0: uh-huh. right?
1: I use this example a lot when I used to facilitate a lot of parenting um, workshops. Um, most people that you run, come across have had a job. They've had an employer before, right? And uh, I said, imagine if you're asking for a time off, like vacation from your boss, they said, what's your problem? Why would you ask me such a thing? You know, we're short staffed. Like, of course, you can't have time off. You're probably going to feel a certain way, right? You're probably, yeah, you're going to feel a certain way. But if you asked your boss for some time off and they said, you know what, you've been working so hard. I would love to give you this time off. I know how much your family time means to you. I want to support that. And we're short staffed right now. And I can't make those dates work. But I'd love to sit down with you and look at other dates so we could make work so that you can have this time with your family. Right. Like both answers are the same. They're both no, you cannot have this time off. But one comes from this essence of I care about you. Right. I want to be on your side, or you know, or I am on your side. And also, no, this can't happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But it feels totally different. And your your willingness to work with that boss and do well for them and support, you know, their endeavors is totally different based on, you know, which conversation they have with you.
0: Yeah. This is, you've been such a teacher for me about this because I'm maybe a small amount neurodivergent, but I just, I'm like, what are explanations for the answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you've really helped me see how much I don't like to accept that answer. Um, And how important it is to acknowledge people's feelings like that's where I think the safe haven part comes in, in conscious relationship is somebody might tell you something you don't want to hear, but you know, the context is love. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and to be even be able to say like, for me, conscious relationship is about being able to say, I know this is coming from love. And right now, this feels really hard to hear. Yeah. And it might even include in right now, like, I really need us to pause this conversation.
0: Mm.
1: And to feel welcome to do that. And also Mm. trusting that if the other person has feelings about that come up, that they're allowed and they're okay. And if you're not able to or wanting to support them with their feelings, that they will take responsibility of finding someone to support them through that.
0: Yeah, right. It's about truth rooted in love and care. But truth is, I think, the most important thing. We have to know what's true for us. We have to be willing to express it. And we have to be coming from a place of true care and compassion. Mm-hmm. I think that's the ultimate in conscious relationship. It's
1: funny because I've always like thought of myself like, I'm an honest person. I'm kind, you know, honest. Telling the truth, of course I would tell the truth. How many times I've not told the truth? You know, in relation to human relationships of like, I'm not telling you that I'm angry, I'm not telling you that I'm sad, I'm not telling you that I'm hurt, I'm not telling you that I'm excited because I'm afraid it might suck in the end, you know, whatever. There's so many things that Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I wasn't telling the truth about.
0: Well, and time too. Like a lot of the time telling people hard truths or expressing the ways that we feel, which might not be happy, shiny ways require time and energy that we just might not have, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if we have big friend groups or a large community.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've had to really wrestle with this the last two and a half years specifically, right? Mm -hmm. Like it has been a tough two and a half years after Daryl died. And something that I used to, be very proud of in that I'll do my best to communicate, let you know where I am with things. I didn't have the capacity to do that. I didn't even have the capacity to say to people, I have no capacity to tell you what's going on with me and what I need. Sometimes during that time of healing, I just wanted to trust in our bond. Yes. That people would know. Georgie cares about you and loves you. And this friendship means so much to her. And if she doesn't reach out or reply to my text or phone call, or she says she wants to see me and then I never hear from her for another three months, it's not personal. It's because she's got stuff going on. And when she's ready to emerge, she will come find me or along the way I can still check in on her and know that her lack of contact isn't a reflection of you know me not being a worthy friend. Yeah. That's been really interesting navigating that. And for the most part people have been like really super amazing. And then sometimes some some connections are clunkier.
0: Yeah. Right. It's hard. Yeah, what do you make it mean about yourself if somebody doesn't reply? in a way that you decide is timely.
1: Well, this is what's interesting because I used to be someone that got so internally annoyed. I wouldn't express it, (laughs) but internally annoyed was like, why can't you reply? I mean, come on. It takes three seconds. Everyone has a phone in their hands. You're probably scrolling your phone anyways. Why can't you reply? (laughs) And I would make it mean when people didn't reply immediately that I wasn't important to them. I didn't matter. That somebody else or something else mattered more to them than me, and I could see this pattern in myself. And uh, I was like, okay, I want to, I want to shift this pattern. I can't. I, I don't believe it to be super healthy to feel so personally hurt by someone taking their time to get back to me. And so, what I practiced, what I realized was, I reply to everyone immediately. Like that's how I used to be. Like the second a text comes in, I'd reply. And I realized part of that came from this fear of if I don't reply, what are they going to think? Part of it came from fear of I must at all times keep this connection strong and going and full of juice because if I don't, they might go away and they might not like me and part of it came from, I just didn't like being alone. I like texting all the time helped me feel this connection that I felt like I couldn't
0: live without. What a busyness, a distraction,
1: the busyness distraction. And and I said, okay, for the next little while, what I'm going to practice is I'm not going to reply right away. And it was so neat to see what would happen. I would get messages and I would read them. And this was also a time when I was learning how to be more connected to my body. And I was like, oh, what a nice message to receive from this person. This feels so good. Like they might've said something really sweet or thoughtful. And I actually had time to feel it. Not just read it on my screen and then promptly reply, felt it. And so I began the practice, you know what, I'm going to let these messages just sink in, give myself some time to marinate in the fact that someone sent me a lovely message. And then when the moment feels like I feel the energy for it, and I feel that like, oh yeah, I want to reach out to that person, I want to follow that impulse. Mm -hmm. And it's been really fun. And what I noticed about that is I don't, I have many reasons why I don't reply to someone right away. None of them have to do with how worthy I think they are of uh, how worthy I think they are as people or how much I value them as a friend or how much I love them. It's because maybe I just want to sit with their nice message for a while. Oh. Maybe I want to be present with my kid or this project I'm like really into in this moment. Maybe what they sent triggered up some stuff that I'm like, Oh, I need to sit with that. Yeah. Right. Or maybe I don't know how I want to respond yet. I want to give myself some time. There's mm-hmm. so many reasons and none of them are personal. Yeah. And when I realized that, then I could apply it the other way around. I'm like, Oh, when other people don't reply to me, it's probably not personal.
0: Hmm. What a relief. Right?
1: What a like life changer that was, and what I realized is once I gave myself permission to not reply right away, and I didn't make it mean something bad about me. I'm not a bad friend, mm-hmm. I'm not a bad you know employee or whatever. When other people did it, I'm like, great, good for you.
0: That's uh-huh. excellent.
1: You honored your boundary and the space you need and the time you need in your process. Great, because that's going to make you a happier person. It makes me a happier person. (laughs) We all have so much more freedom instead of being just on this constant autopilot run by fear or desire to avoid, you know, all this discomfort. Yeah, totally.
0: And to control situations too. This is making me think of um, when I was initially practicing years ago, not replying right away. It, It became apparent that that's what I was doing. And I also didn't want those feelings. So I was about to do some rituals, but I was texting with this guy that I had been dating and I can't, the context doesn't matter. I can't remember what it was, but I put the phone down to do my rituals and I heard it boop or I knew he'd reply or something like that. And old me would have wanted to ignore the rituals and go check the messages. Right. But I didn't. And I really let myself get into the rituals without letting my mind go back to the phone. And then at the end of it, so it was maybe half an hour or something like that, I went to check the phone. And in the course of that half an hour, this man absolutely lost his mind.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: It's like when you see those memes where it's like, you turn your phone off at night and you wake up in the morning and you've been broken up with 24 (laughs) times and like all these crazy messages. Like it was broken
1: up with someone 24 times overnight. (laughs) One time.
0: (laughs) It had happened to me finally. And I'm like, wow, that's because I made space for spirit. You know, I left space and what it got filled with was crazy town. And I, am not into that. So uh, what a blessing space is.
1: Yeah. It's, and it took me a long time to not just learn how to be in space and create space, but to even think that
0: it had any value. Yeah. And how people want to fill it, like has an effect on me in my life. Um, I want to be surrounded with people who are comfortable with space and time. You know, I don't want to feel like there's this, anxious need to have all of the questions answered and have all of the details and information and like whatever this constant text messaging requires just feels not spacious to me. And I know that Mm -hmm. that's not a feeling that I want in my life.
1: Yeah. And for some people that might be the feeling that they want in their life. And this is not about anything being right or wrong. It's more of giving ourselves time and space to explore what feels good outside of autopilot. Like what truly feels good and what truly feels good right now, because maybe next month something else feels
0: truly good. Mm -hmm. That's okay too. Totally. Yeah. It's more than okay. It's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, we're at an hour that happens really quickly. Does. Do you want to close us off with, Another body practice before we Mm. sign off. Check in with the body.
1: I don't know if we've done this one before, but it doesn't hurt to do them more than once. This is just a little sweeping motion down your arm. When you get down to your hands, just give them a squeeze. So start with your hand resting on your shoulder and then just sweep down in a way that feels good. Sweep down your arm. When your two hands meet, give them a squeeze. Notice your breath. Put your hand on the other shoulder. Feel the weight of that gentle sweeping motion. Let your hands meet. Give them a squeeze. Notice your breath. And you can do that as many times as
0: feels good for you. Mm. That's nice. Yeah. That is nice. I'm amazed how much self touch actually feels really comforting to me now. I probably was employing this unconsciously in the past, but um, it really is useful. I remember being annoyed at the idea of give yourself a hug. Mm -hmm. um, And now it just feels really natural and helpful.
1: Yeah, some of these things take time for us to discover how they really feel? We might have an initial response, um, but I, I truly believe that we all need to grow a, a relationship with nurturing self-touch. We're missing out on so much in life when we don't have nurturing self-touch. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, sweet woman. I love you. I love you. Okay. <laughs> And we love all of you guys as well. Please like, follow, and subscribe. And if anything we've said here today has been helpful for you, please share with somebody you love. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you next week. See you then. Bye. Bye.